welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter one of The Amber Spyglass, The Enchanted Sleeper. We're on the amber spyglass. It's happening. Can you believe we're on the amber spyglass? I we've truly made it can't. To the third book. I know. <laughs> I I I am shocked and happy that we made it to the amber spyglass. When we started Northern Lights, I was like, I wonder how far we'll make it. And here we are. We're going to finish far, at least. So <laughs> we're going to finish this trilogy at least. Hopefully, a touch wood, nothing horrendous happens in that time. That means we can't. But how has your break been? Has it been restful? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> we were literally just talking about this before we started recording, that um, we always take a break with the best of intentions, but then end up trying to do loads of stuff in the break. Um, so, yeah, I have been trying to do loads of stuff in the break, but also just being incredibly, like, fatigued and exhausted. So it's been really hard to do, like, anything at all, like, even simple things that would usually take me, like not long at all have been like really difficult Mm -hmm. turns out that we scheduled a break because we needed a break and not Mm. because we (laughs) needed time to do more work which is exactly what I've done so yeah I mean you've had you've had a busier one than me you've been like conning it up I've had a big old time of it yeah you may remember in the mailbag episode we did just before we took a break that I mentioned I was doing my first convention post pandemic I say post we're still in the midst of it still happening the gradual easing of some places and whatever it means that I've been able to do a convention it's the first one in over a year and a half and it turns out they're really exhausting yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) I had an amazing time it was really good um DesignerCon London hopefully we'll be back on next year it was really fun it was really great to see a lot of the people that I know from previous conventions and are like my little toy makery family that I have out there but at the same time it was I've not worked that full on in a really long time like I've been during the pandemic I've been trying to make myself work like working hours like you know eight till five nine till five whatever that all went out the window when there was a convention on board. So I was working like 12 hour days for the last three weeks and then spent the entirety of the weekend being as extroverted as I've ever been in my entire life, having like speaking to loads of people. And it, yeah, I'm, I'm still recovering. <laughs> yeah, whenever Rich is doing a con, I'm just like, she's she's in con mode for like a month. I'm just going to leave her alone. <laughs> like, I think we saw each other like once or twice. But I'm always like, yeah. she's busy. She's she's a busy bee. She's uh, She's got shit going on. I do. But it is one of those things where if this is where I'm headed in terms of like what I do as my job, I do need to get better at balancing that out and still having a regular life. You know, the week running up to a convention is fine to go out of the window, but the month running up, I need to be a bit better at. Yeah, but that's not really your fault, is it? It's because you're one person trying to do the work of at least three people. True. <laughs> Being a small business owner is very hard. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like it was fucking forever ago, but we went on holiday during our break. Oh God, we put our last we episode out and we did a little holiday and it was lovely. 
Yeah, I've been, I've seen the sea more times this year than I, well, definitely more times than I did last year, which is great. <laughs> yeah, we had a lovely old time near, near the water. And we did some water sports, which were absolutely hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I learned that my physical fitness is at probably the lowest it's ever been. Oh, my whilst God. Whilst trying to haul my wetsuited body up onto a giant inflatable assault course that we did. Rich, I can't, like, I still laugh. So basically, we also did paddle boarding and uh, I managed to get up like once on my paddle board and I did it for like a good five minutes I was really proud of myself and then I fell off and I was like okay I've got to get back on thinking it'd be really easy had Rich come over to me to like try and get me back on and then our friend Matt as well both of them were trying to drag me back on this paddle board and I could not for the fucking life of me get back on it and I had to go back to the place where I got in originally and the guy that worked there was just like what's your plan now then I'm like for you to help me back on this paddleboard hopefully (laughs) oh my god I mean at least you can say you stood up once I tried to stand up three times and I fell in three times well I (laughs) yeah I was kind of good because like I think that I could have like I stood up and then I fell off and then I couldn't get back on so I didn't stand up again because I was scared of not being able to get back on again but I think if I'd have been able to get back on I, I might have like you know nailed standing on it but (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't to be so but that was fun and it feels like forever ago it does let's do it again but yeah other than that just lots of attempting to do stuff and then not doing it is basically what i've done during this break although i did do another thing oh is it that you only went and fucking started another podcast <laughs> i did i did i did i did i started another podcast and i remember when i told rich the original idea she was like oh my god you're gonna pod cheat on me <laughs> Yeah, so rude. In the first episode, you fucking slate me as well. You're like, oh, Rachel will be really happy that I just called Zach one of my best friends. And then literally later in the episode, you were both like, fuck you, <laughs> fuck Rachel. <laughs> I don't think they actually said that. but We definitely that didn't was the say that. I got. <laughs> I'm just happy you mentioned me at all. Of course, of course, you'll always get a mention. Yes, I started another podcast. What's it about, Faye? It's about the band Paramore, and it's with one of my best friends, Zach. Not my only yes. best friend, but one of. <laughs> and uh, we are going through every Paramore song from the beginning, and it's called Still Into You Podcast. And I'm very excited about it. It's fun. Me and Zach have loved Paramore since Paramore were a thing, and we have lots of like random knowledge and just things that we've acquired over the years like I went um back to my mum and dad's recently and uh, I need to show you these Rich I I found so many like old pictures of like Paramore gigs that I took like back from like 2005 2006 like videos and stuff and the sound is so bad but they're so great so yeah lots of um lots of Paramore goodness in that podcast so if you are a Paramore fan would recommend checking it out wherever you listen to podcasts because apparently all I do is podcasting now and that's fine with me because that's what I want to do so that's all good with me yes <laughs> amazing <laughs> Yay. we love we love to see it we love to hear it I listened to the first episode and I loved it it was great so the first episode that's out now is just kind of goes through your journey with with Zach and how you both got into Paramore so you don't cover the, the first song from the first album just yet so it's really great if you want to just like get to know Faye and Zach a bit more because if you're listening to this you probably already know Faye but <laughs> I would you might so. not know Zach <laughs> it's really cute I love it I think by the time this episode comes out we'll have had a couple more episodes out so yeah there might be like two or three out by the time this comes out 
How exciting. But yeah, it's fun and I'm excited for that journey. Also excited for this journey because I have missed recording and stuff. Uh, me and Rachel were just saying before we hit record, like, I wonder if I can remember how to do it. <laughs> like, how do we do this <laughs> podcast? Because it has been a while. I think it's like, I know we didn't really have a break because we were doing stuff, but it is the longest time we've been off, I think. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember how long the break was that we took last year. Yeah, I'm really excited to be back. I've really missed the books. And I've really missed like my usually Sunday afternoon reading and taking notes and my also my Sunday morning or Saturday morning where I like draw the pictures for the podcast art and stuff. And so I'm excited to get back into that because it's a great excuse for me to not do my own work (laughs) and to do this, which is so much more fun. Exactly. And also... Again, I think everybody knows this, but I've only read these books once. So, like, I've only read The Amber Spyglass once. I know the general, like, trajectory of what happens, but I can't remember a lot of it. So this is going to be fun for me to be like, what the fuck is going on? That's one thing that I do remember thinking when I read The Amber Spyglass. What is happening? This is this is the longest I've been since reading The Amber Spyglass to reading The Amber Spyglass, if that makes sense. Because I usually reread the the trilogy every every year, every other year. And obviously we spent two years podcasting and reading through them a chapter at a time. And so it's been at least two years since I've even picked up the Amber Spyglass, which is... ah. (laughs) Also, isn't... God, that's absolutely bananas that we've nearly been doing this for two years. Yep. (laughs) It feels like yesterday. Where is time going? Where is time going? We're getting old. It's happening. (laughs) I'm nearly 30. And like, I I keep saying, oh, I'm nearly 30, I'm nearly 30. Like, it's a bad thing. But I actually don't, I'm not bothered about turning 30. Because all my friends, apart from Rich, are already th- in the 30s. So. Mm-hmm. 30, flirty and thriving, right? Isn't exactly. that what she says 13 going on 30? <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of our lovely podcast, we do have to say some thank you to our lovely patrons. Yes. We have David and Rebecca. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Yay. David and Rebecca. Thank you for pledging. I believe at the witch and alethiometrist level. So thank you. I've still got loads of stuff up. Well, we've still got loads of stuff up our sleeve for Patreon that I was supposed to work on in the break and then got too tired to do. But it's coming. (laughs) I promise you there's some stuff coming. I have, we have, we keep having so many ideas for things you want to do for Patreon. And I have, I have the stickers. I have the merch. I've just been really exhausted <laughs> and Faye is coming over this weekend and we're going to sort out the patrons that are at the level where you get merch freebies. You will be getting some more merch coming your way soon and we will be working on t-shirt designs. I have the designs. What I don't have is, the what I haven't had is the energy to sort it out just yet. Yeah. We're on it. We're on it. <laughs> we're on it. We're on it. And we will be putting some like more sticker designs and stuff in the shop and all that kind of shit. So... Just be patient with us. We're, we, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> well then, well then. <laughs> hey, Faye. Hi. What would your demon have been this week or this break? It's up to you if you want to have had the same demon for the last six weeks or not. <laughs> I was thinking about this and I think I've said this before, and I don't like to say this because I'm not really a fan of them, but I feel like it's got to be a sloth just because... And I, I really don't like sloths, I'm sorry, but I think they're hideous and they scare me a little bit. Oh, <laughs> I, I quite like them. The thing is, like, I like their, like, characteristics and how, like, chill and stupid they look. But then, like, there's just something about their, like, claws and their faces. Yeah, they're, the two, like... The two toes. Ugh. I love that. 
I just think that's evolutionarily like really cool and weird. <laughs> fucking gross. Um, yeah. So I think a sloth because I've been so tired and so like fatigued and just like I feel like I've just been moving around like really slowly and I'm trying to get stuff done but I, I'm not able to because I just can't move fast enough or like I do like an hour's work and then I'm like I need a nap <laughs> so yeah I think a sloth what about you what would your demon be oh are you gonna do the break all this week I don't I think yeah I think mine covers the break I think kind of both so I was trying to think of an animal that is really solitary and then does something incredibly social like once a year or once a season or something. And the only thing that's come to mind is entirely based off of the Disney film Brother Bear when the bears are really solitary animals but like once a year they meet for the salmon run <laughs> when all the salmon swim upstream and like all the bears go... I don't know, it's probably I've never seen that film. Oh, it... Uh, weirdly is one of the few Disney films that like makes me cry like a lot but it makes no sense as to why because it's not particularly the best Disney film or anything it's it's just something in I think it must be the score is it like me and Coco yeah maybe (laughs) but I don't know if it's a thing that bears are actually just social once a year and particularly around that salmon run but that's what it's felt like for me because I've essentially been hibernating and hiding away and being really solitary in the run-up to this convention and then been like the most social I've ever been all year and now I'm hiding again (laughs) yeah yeah I forgot to tell you but when I went I went to Sheffield recently for my friend's Hindu and uh, we were sat in um, the square that's near like the Crucible and the theatres in Sheffield. Yes, where the goths, where I hung out as a teenage goth. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a pub there and there was like a nice little like um, festival of sorts in, in Sheffield and they were showing like films outside and stuff and they were showing Kirka and I couldn't escape it because we were sat outside and it was right at the end and it was that song that devastates me every time and I was oh, just God. sat there like a little bit hungover from the night before with a shandy like just crying <laughs> like, me and me and my friend Coral were just crying and like Coral's friend went and got some tissues and I was like I, I sat down I was like I'm really sorry everyone like I know this sounds really strange but I will cry like I just will I cannot not cry at this film I love that <laughs> just there, like, I just love Coco so much seeing the fucking I've said this before I'm so sure I've said this before on the podcast even seeing the thumbnail on Disney Plus makes me cry I cannot <laughs> <laughs> just takes you back <laughs> oh, straight God. away it does it does I fucking love that Brilliant. film so much <sighs> anyway shall we get into the first chapter of The Amber Spyglass shall we do it oh my god we should we should. we should. This is it. This is it. Book three. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> In the final chapter of The Subtle Knife, Mrs. Coulter was on a mission to find Lyra. She poisoned Boreal after finding out information about the knife, finally found out Lyra's prophecy name, Eve, and vowed to prevent another fall. Will finally met his dad, a.k.a. Joppery, only for him to be almost immediately murdered by a witch. Will met some angels who said they'll guide him on his mission to give the knife to Azriel. He came back to the camp to find Lyra was gone. (laughs) In the first chapter of The Amber Spyglass, we find Mrs. Coulter camping out in a cave. She's kidnapped Lyra and is keeping her in an enchanted sleep. She's enlisted the help of a local girl called Amma to bring her food and supplies. Lyra has a strange dream where she speaks to Roger in the world of the dead. Wow. Oh my God, chapter one, let's do it. Oh my God. 
such a short chapter. Such a short little chapter. Yes. And my first note is that this book is formatted differently to the other books in that we have at the beginning of each chapter a small part of a poem or verse, a small quote, basically. And did you Google where this quote was from, Faye? Uh, no, absolutely. Of course I didn't. <laughs> I did, so that's okay. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> it means Where's we didn't do double the work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so this is from a poem by William Blake called The Lost Little Girl. And it's not mega long, so I could read it to you if you want to hear the whole poem, or I can give you the gist of the poem. I think, read it. Read it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. It's a weird one where it's going to be hard to read and not sound like a dickhead because it's quite old and that vibe, if that makes sense. Sorry if I'm insulting anyone that really enjoys poetry. (laughs) (laughs) You'll do a good job. You always do. In futurity, I prophesy that the earth from sleep, grave the sentence deep, shall arise and seek for her maker meek and the desert wild become a garden mild. In the southern clime where the summer's prime never fades away, lovely Lyca lay. Seven summers old, lovely Lyca told, she had wondered long, hearing wild birds' song. Sweet sleep, come to me underneath this tree. Do father, mother weep? Where can Lyca sleep? Lost in the desert wild is your little child. How can Lyca sleep if her mother weep? If her heart does ache, then let Lyca wake. If her mother sleep, then Lyca shall not weep. Frowning, frowning night, o'er the desert bright. Let thy moon arise while I close my eyes, sleeping like a lay, while the beasts of prey come from caverns deep, viewed the maid asleep. The kingly lion stood, and the virgin viewed, and he gambled around o'er the hallowed ground. Leopards, tigers play around her as she lay, while the lion old bowed his mane of gold, and her bosom lick, and upon her neck from his eyes of flame, ruby tears there came, while the lioness loosed her slender dress, and naked they conveyed to the caves the sleeping maid. It ends fucking weird. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. (laughs) It's about some lions that steal a child. Um, A naked child? Cool. Okay. So the section that Phil's chosen for the beginning of the book is just, while the beasts of prey come from caverns deep, viewed the maid asleep, which makes sense for this chapter, but the rest of it is interesting. (laughs) And their girl in the poem is called Lyca. Yeah. L-Y-C-A. Interesting. Do Do you think that Lyra came from that? Potentially. Or I I don't I don't know. We could do with asking Phil, I guess. <laughs> no down to ask yeah. Phil. <laughs> questions for Phil. It's interesting, especially as like later in the chapter we're gonna have Lyra's hair be referenced as being like a tawny lion's mane kind of colour. And there's a lion reference in this poem, so I don't know how linked that is. And there's a lot of talk of like mother and child through the poem, which is very much the vibe of this chapter. So yeah, interesting interesting poem i am sorry if i completely butchered it while reading it because it's it's one of those things where it's really there's probably a rhythm to it i don't know yeah i'm not very i'm i'm terrible at reading anything never mind poetry you did a good job so well done the poem is from a series called songs of innocence and experience which also feels very relevant for this series of books and Philip Pullman's approach to dust and etc. Excellent. I wonder if all the other little bits, because like obviously they're all the little excerpts at the beginning of the chapters, they're all going to be relevant. But I wonder if the that this one seems really, really, really relevant. I wonder if they're all going to be as relevant, or if some of them are going to be like mm, you were clutching at straws there a bit, Phil. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'm quite happy for it to be my job to research the, the snippets if you can't be bothered. Yeah, I'm happy <laughs> for you to do that. <laughs> the snippet segment at the beginning of each chapter. <laughs> yes, amazing. Okay, I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so lots of description for the opener. Usually if a book opens with a lot of description, it really turns me off. I like to like be like straight into the action, which I feel like we were with the subtle knife. And again, I can't fucking remember, but I feel like <laughs> we went straight into like just maybe describing Will. Literally the first sentence of the second book is Will tugged at his mother's hand and said, come on, come on. But his mother hung back. See, that's what I want. I'm going to find out the sentence that begins the first book as well, just because I'm interested to know. Oh, yeah, tell me. Lyra and her demon move through the darkening hall, taking care to keep to one side and out of sight of the kitchen. Right. So they both start very action-oriented, and this is... We're about to get a lovely scene laid out for us. <laughs> I really like the description of the woods. The woods were full of sound, the stream between the rocks, the wind among the needles of the pine branches, the chitter of insects and the cries of small arboreal mammals, as well as the bird song. From time to time, a stronger gust of wind would make one of the branches of a cedar or a fir move against another and groan like a cello. I really like that to say that I'm not like a massive fan of descriptors. I feel like Phil does like a really good job. I think the reason why... I pull away from description is because I used to, well, I still do like love reading Stephen King and he will do like full fucking chapters in books that are just like describing the scene. I remember there was, I think it's in Pet Cemetery. There's so many pages where it's just describing the cemetery and it's like, okay, Steve, we fucking get it. Like move on. <laughs> like it's, it's too much. So like, I feel like I just have that muscle memory in me that whenever there's a description, like a description of a scene, scenery, I'm like, no, no, but sometimes they're pretty. This feels like very much, I don't know what specific reference I'm making here, but it's become iconic and is a thing that is referenced throughout lots of different stuff so i don't know where the original is but it's like oh the sunrise and it's like that song you know the yeah, song and it's like birds start tweeting and the sun through the dappled trees and maybe like a little rainbow in the background <laughs> i feel that's from like a children's show is it i feel it's like a kid's tv show yeah Oh, that's going to fucking annoy me now. How do you even Google that? You can't Google that. <laughs> well, you can't just type in do, 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 do. <laughs> it's not really going to go down too well. Also, I had to Google what arboreal mammals are. They are mammals that mostly live in trees. Oh, okay. So, nice. like, possums like to live in trees. Squirrels live in trees. Ma mammals that are tree-based. Are you just going to tell us all the mammals that live in trees? <laughs> yes. Uh, do I have some more for you? Sloths, probably. Oh, uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and also I had to Google what a linnet looks like because a linnet is a kind of bird and they're really cute and really small and they've got, like, slightly red chests. They're very cute. There you go. That's what, that's that's the extent of my Googling this chapter, actually. <laughs> is it? I don't think I Googled much. I don't know if I Googled anything. Bad podcast host. So there's a description. It's a valley. There's a village at the foot of this valley. Um, lots of like lovely descriptors of what we can find here. So there's a bit here which I thought just like sounded like it would be a really beautiful place. 
Um, and I think the first time I read it, I didn't really, because obviously I kind of usually skim descriptions, I didn't really picture it in my head. It says, There was a narrow path beside the stream which led from a village, little more than a cluster of herdsmen's dwellings, at the foot of the valley to a half-ruined shrine near the glacier at its head, a place where faded silken flags streamed out in the perpetual winds from the high mountains, and offerings of barley cakes and dried tea were placed by Pierce... Pierce? Pious? Pious. Pious, thank you. Villagers. An odd effect of the light and the ice and the vapour enveloped the head of the valley in perpetual rainbows. That sounds bloody lovely, oh, doesn't it? It does. It's very idyllic. Yeah. Very idyllic. Yeah, I think it's a very deliberate, like, choice to, like, describe all of this beautiful scenery. And then as we go through the chapter, like, little things feel wrong and like we know the situation is wrong and a bit sinister so it's kind of like really nice to have it in this beautiful setting there's a description of where mrs coulter is in this cave it's the cave lay somewhere above the path many years before a holy man had lived there meditating and fasting and praying and the place was venerated for the sake of his memory it was 30 feet or so deep with a dry fall, an ideal den for a bear or a wolf, but the only creatures living in it for years have been birds and bats. But the description of how far away this cave is from the village, for me, feels like quite a similar scenario to Joppery and his village and how it's like a person that's been venerated into, into some, some kind of state, like status, and is being treated as... Uh, extra wise or extra holy is set away from the village and that Mrs Coulter is using that dynamic to her advantage and that that's something that Joppery had working for him as well. Yeah, as soon as I read that little description, I was like, oh, that just made me think of Joppery straight away. Fucking Do Joppery. we think he could be the the wise man that lived there? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, but like also maybe. It's there for a reason, right? You know, like it's written for a reason. It, it could be Phil just wanting us to think of of Jopre and literally draw the comparison that you just said between the two things so maybe anyway Jopre's getting his ass haunted well he's dead so he's not even getting his ass haunted (laughs) he's just dead I forgot that he died (laughs) (laughs) yup he's fucking dead you can be haunted when you're dead right I don't know you sure it's just a ghost following you it's like the equivalent of stalking right if you're alive, if you if both of you are alive, it's stalking. If one of you is alive, the other one is dead. It's haunting. And then if you're both dead, <laughs> it goes back dead, to stalking. Still... <laughs> yeah. Go back to stalking again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's how it works. We get a first. Just, I feel like we're just reading out this chapter, but we get a first description of fucking little monkey prick lmp back in business but the form that was crouching inside the entrance his black eyes watching this way and that his sharp ears pricked was neither bird nor bat the sunlight lay heavy and rich on his lustrous golden fur and his monkey hands turned a pine cone this way and that snapping off the scales with sharp fingers and scratching out the sweet nuts and honestly the first thing i thought of was him wanking off that snake. I cannot ever think <laughs> about LMP again without thinking about him wanking oh. off a snake. I just can't. Well, I didn't even think about it, but now you've put it back in my head. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Also, this is going to expose my lack of knowledge. I did not know that there were nuts inside pine cones. Is it only some kinds of pine cones? I don't know. It's kind of like a seed situation with them otherwise trees wouldn't grow them but i don't know i thought you would be like oh my god it's if you didn't know that 
I'm like queen of the pine cones and I know everything about it. I just assumed that you would have that knowledge. <laughs> no, I do not have that knowledge. Maybe it's just some kinds of pine cones. I don't know. Uh, it's also just for me because it consistently comes back to the monkey just shredding this pine cone and that's just me. I've got nervous hands and if you give me something that has like things that break off or like bubble wrap or something, I will destroy it over time. <laughs> that That's him. I will take my stresses out on this small object. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I remember when I was younger and I used to do stuff like that and I still do. And everyone used to say to me, oh, it's because you're sexually frustrated. And I'm like, how about it's because I'm fucking anxious? Like, <laughs> I don't know why people always used to say that. It's like, if I usually like rip the label off bottles. Still do. Yeah. 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 And they'd be like, oh, you must be sexually frustrated. I'm like, no, I've just got anxiety. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I just, I'm a person that works with my hands all day. And so I have to constantly have busy hands. Otherwise, my, otherwise I can't focus. I love it. We've had this description of this beautiful place and then the moment you hear about golden fur, your hair stands on end because you're like, no, it's the little monkey prick. (laughs) Yeah, here he is. And Mrs Coulter uh, is heating up some water um, when uh, the little monkey prick warns her of somebody coming. And it's a little girl from the village called Armour who's bringing... Armour? 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 When I'm reading it, I think Armour. Armour? Armour? Yeah. Armour. Um, Armour. Yeah, you're probably right. Armour. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Who knows? Here we go again. Here we fucking I go. I listen to the audiobook and I think they say Armour. So that's okay. what I'm going with. There Chapter go. one of, of Here We Are already cannot pronounce anything. It's going mm-hmm. well. So <laughs> and we don't we won't even have the TV show to guide us because they're not gonna be releasing yeah, it until probably shit. after we finish the book. So that's, we're screwed. That's, that's crazy. Also, there's 38 chapters in this book. Just saying. Maybe we will. Maybe the TV show will be out by the time we get to the end. Yes. Oh, God. Okay, so Amma is bringing Mrs. Coulter food and supplies. And there's a bit here which made me chuckle, which were, uh, which is Mrs. Coulter had let it be known when she first arrived that she was a holy woman engaged in meditation and prayer and under a vow never to speak to a man. I was like, fuck, I wish I was under a, under a vow never to speak to a man. <laughs> My thoughts on this was, is that because she, is that a safety thing? Is she like, well, if I tell them I'm a holy woman, I'm under vows not to speak to a man, then nobody is going to come up here and bother me as a woman living on my own. Is it a, just she really can't be asked with men right now thing? Is it a, they're less like, if she can make it so that the person she's interacting with as a child, people will be, the child will be less suspicious of her and therefore the village will be less suspicious of her. Like, I'm wondering what the reasoning is behind it. Like, the holy woman reasoning is definitely for her to get, like, free shit off people and have them look after her. I think it's probably a mixture of all of those things that you just said. I think it makes total sense. Um, and, I mean, when I read it, like, I did just think, eh, she's she's yeah. just done with men. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> do not fucking speak to me, men, all right? Don't come anywhere fucking near me. And, like, that's a vibe that I can get on board with. I'm sorry, I've made a vow not to speak... <laughs> I mean, you could just put that in, like, everyday life. Like, if someone starts trying to talk to you at a bar and you did not invite that level of attention from anybody, you could just be like, I'm sorry, I've made a vow not to speak to dickheads, so... Yeah, um, please leave me <laughs> Let's alone. not gender it. It doesn't matter who it is. If they're getting in your space and you don't want them there, you'd be like, I'm sorry, I've actually made a holy vow not to speak to people that cross my boundaries. Maybe I will do that. hmm <laughs> So... 
the girl's talking in a different language that Mrs. Coulter she kn- she knows a bit a, a bit of, but doesn't want to let them know that she can understand them. And she basically tells Amma to like shush. She, I just like she like indicated for her to shut her mouth. All right, <laughs> rude, <laughs> and let their demons talk instead. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like I was just about to get into that, and then I saw my next note, which is lol at horny forefinger because I'm a child. <laughs> yes. So, Demon Watch here is that demons that speak different languages can still communicate, and that that understanding that they pass between each other is filtered to their human which is something that we kind of suspected in the first book when roger and lyra's demon have a secret conversation under the table at bolvanger where like roger and i are pretending not to know each other and you know uh pan and salcilia are catching up but like we don't we weren't 100 percent certain then we were like are they gonna tell each other later what's gone on or do they know automatically what their demon is hearing and from this i get it it sounds like the understanding just flows into Mrs. Coulter. It's like a con- shared consciousness, which is cool. It's interesting that it's taken Phil this long to kind of explain that properly. Mm. Maybe he made this situation just so that he could, like, constructed it for that reason. I wonder whether, because, like, do you know when you see him answer questions and stuff where people are like, oh, like, what about this particular thing? Or, like, when people asked him about, like, you know, trans and non-binary demons, he's kind of like, oh, I have no idea because I haven't had to think about it yet. I wonder whether it was just that. Like, whether he was just like, oh, this this makes sense for this situation. Let's have it so that it, like, streams directly into her brain so it can cross the language barrier. And he'd just not had to think about it before this moment. Yeah, I feel like I remember a question like that where someone was like, oh, does Asriel have any other relatives? And he was like, I don't know, but if he needed them, I'd write him some. And it's like, okay, cool. (laughs) It's an interesting contrast, actually, to J.K. Rowling, boo, fucker, and Harry Potter, drink. Yes, here we go. Um, uh, Because I know that she, and obviously it got reused for, like, Pottermore and all that kind of stuff, but obviously she had, like, really intense, like, family trees, like, family background that she wrote before she started writing the books. And it's very an interesting contrast that Phil clearly just doesn't have that. He's just like, well, yeah, if you need it, I'll write it in. If the story requires it, it will happen. If it doesn't, eh. <laughs> we've not met them yet. <laughs> yeah. And that like so. that appeals to me, like as a person who sometimes writes things, that appeals to me much more because like the level of work that goes into like the intricacy of like everybody's family tree and family history like puts me off doing something like that. Also, it's superfluous works because unless it becomes relative, like relevant to the story why have you bothered and then that's what leads to you being really strict about your canon post-publishing and telling people no when they've made reasonable assumptions based on the books that they've read which i do not enjoy the policing of readers (laughs) no i don't either and like i kind of get why people do do it because like if you want to like get more of an understanding of your characters then i i kind of understand it but again like the level of like concentration and work that that takes scares the shit out of me i'd much rather like i see writing as a much more creative process where I'd want things to like flow openly without then writing something and then going oh fuck but I put that in I put something in this family tree which means that I can't do this now Phil has a much better like process I think yeah a more of a go with the flow kind of process <laughs> so for me 
the moment the monkey is touching anybody else's demon, I feel uncomfortable because I know that he's a horrible, violent little thing. And so her having a butterfly demon and him having his, like, strong, horny hands. Um, <laughs> <laughs> horny forefinger. Yeah. Um, it puts it puts you on edge because the monkey seems so solid and the butterfly seems so fragile. And just for me, you kind of spend any time they're interacting, thinking about how easily the monkey could just smush the butterfly and it puts you really on edge. So it's that thing where it's like, it's a lovely thing and Amma's being like led into this false sense of security around them because she's like, oh, because the, her, his demon was, her demon was being so gentle with my demon and that's so lovely, like it makes me feel safe. And it's like, you're not safe. Mm-mm. That monkey's Mm-mm. a little prick. Yep, 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 yep. Yes, he is. Amma explains that like the villagers are a little bit scared because it's been rumoured that Mrs. Coulter has a powerful companion with her and they have like a bunch of questions for like who she is, is she dangerous or who this person is, are they dangerous, etc. There's a bit here which made me laugh. A novel answer occurred to Mrs. Coulter as the demon's understanding filtered into hers. She could tell the truth, not all of it naturally, but some. She felt a little quiver of laughter at the idea, but kept out of her voice as she explained, I fucking love it, not Mrs. Coulter finding the idea of the truth hilarious. Yes. Also, it's a really, like, Lyra thing as well, like using a little nugget of truth to grow the lie from. I don't know, obviously Lyra's not learned it from her mum because her mum wasn't around, but it's there in their, like, core somewhere to, like, have that uh, adeptness at lying. And that is, like, I'm not a very good liar, but that is the best way to lie because it's it's a way for you to remember the lie as well. Like if you've just if you just pull something out of the air, you're more likely to forget it or like miss details out when you're retelling it. But if you like if it's kind of truthful, then it's much easier. Truth adjacent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For anybody wanting to learn how to lie, take some tips from uh, Lyra and Mrs. Coulter. Exactly. <laughs> she says that Lyra was essentially poisoned or enchanted by somebody else and that Mrs. And that she has taken her to this cave to hide from the person who enchanted Lyra into being asleep and try to cure her and invites Amma in to come and see her. And so they go into the little cave. Amma's dad's a little bit worried. He like steps forward but then doesn't follow to be like, because he's like this thing of like, I want, I want to, I can't let my kid go out of sight with a stranger, but also can't follow into this space that men aren't allowed in <laughs> yeah 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 i suppose we didn't mention that amma is with with her dad yeah she's got her dad with her for the i think she usually comes alone but she's got her dad with her this time probably on behalf of the village yeah i do really like the tentative like oh god i want to make sure my daughter's okay but also oh, i can't go in there and they're trusting his daughter as well for her to do it by herself yeah but yeah amma is uh, made to feel safe that, but the golden monkey was holding her demon so gently and she was curious besides so she followed Mrs Coulter into the cave and it's like don't follow her don't do it <laughs> but she is doing this uh, little gesture as she goes in it's the repetitive gesture of finger on thumb finger on thumb to ward off danger by to confuse evil spirits are you thinking incy wincy spider or are you thinking uh Tapping each finger onto your thumb. Tapping each finger. Only because that came most naturally to me. I thought Incy Wincy Spider, if you don't know what that is, it's the one where you... It's very hard to explain. (laughs) Your right... Your forefinger on your right hand to your thumb on your left hand and then your 
forefinger on your left hand to the thumb on your right hand. And it, it's what kids do when they're doing incy wincy spider. <laughs> yeah, I thought just like thumb to each yeah. finger on one hand. Because that seems less intrusive as well. Like, it would would it not look a bit weird if she was walking next to Mrs. Coulter doing fucking Into Winter Spider? Whereas, like, you can kind of hide this. But is it this is kind of the equivalent of doing, like, the sign of the cross or, like, various other little mini cultural practices that exist throughout the world that are, like, to ward off evil? But I love that the idea is that it's to confuse evil spirits because they're like, what is going on here? <laughs> Which is why I thought Into Winter Spider because it's a little bit confusing <laughs> to do. So... <laughs> Just makes me think, like, is this what people should be doing on those, like, ghost hunting TV shows, like Ghost Adventures? <laughs> Just like. <laughs> we get um, a description of Lyra, which I want to read because we don't often get descriptions of Lyra. And obviously, it's the beginning of a new book. Um, so it makes sense to give us a description of Lyra just so we don't forget and if anybody's picked up this book and not read the other two which would be hilarious because you'd be like what the fuck is going on but it says Amma looked at the figure in the sleeping bag it was a girl older than she was by three or four years perhaps and she had hair of a, of a colour Amma had never seen before a tawny fairness like a lion's her lips were pressed tightly together and she was deeply asleep there was no doubt about that for a demon lay coiled and unconscious at her throat he had the form of some creature like a mongoose, but red gold in colour and smaller. As if the golden monkey was tenderly smoothing the fur between the sleeping demon's ears. No, you're fucking not. Get off him. You don't Do deserve touch to touch Pan. Pan. You can't touch Pan. How fucking dare you? How fucking dare Anytime you Anytime the monkey Pan. touches another person's demon, I'm like, no, get off. Especially with Pan, I'm like, how fucking dare you? Get away. No, that's not happening. Not on my watch. Exactly. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> so. Mrs. C tells Amma to tell her father what she's seen, but not to tell anybody else. The bit here that I wanted to call out as well is, so she knelt beside Lyra and smoothed the damp hair back from the sleeping face before bending low to kiss her daughter's cheek. This like kind of begins the language that Phil is using around Lyra and Mrs. Coulter. We get a lot of daughter and mother, which is not really something that we've had before. And then it makes me think Phil's trying to do something here. And he's already plant he's like planting the seed of like Mrs. Coulter being a mum. Yes, she's enchanted Lyra into the sleep and it's awful. But she's also mothering her. And she's mothering her in the only way that she can because Lyra would not allow it if she was awake. Mm -hmm. So my kind of notes on this, so there's this moment in particular, it feels really performative motherly behaviour in what she thinks, how she thinks a mum would act caring for her sick child and like being like very, um, my poor baby. And like the fact that Amma finds it heartwarming is a like, that it brings a tear to her eye, doesn't it? And it's just a bit too sickly sweet for me in the same way that like Mrs Coulter's apartment was a bit sickly sweet in the first book it's a bit too and like there's an ick there because we know like Lyra does not want to be there she does not want to be asleep um and that kind of continues later on because Amma her and her dad leave they bow to Mrs Coulter and they leave and Mrs Coulter unwraps the pack that she's been given and makes this concoction of oil and various leaves and stuff that she then goes and feeds to Lyra. My kind of notes around this, aside from the fact that it's utterly creepy that she's keeping Lyra in essentially an induced coma, were to do with the performative aspects of how... It's performative, but it is technically caretaking of how she looks after Lyra and she cleans her and she brushes her hair. And for me, it really harked back to the first book when Pan's like, she doesn't want, she doesn't want an assistant, she doesn't want a child, she wants to keep us as a pet. 
And then in this, it's she's not even keeping her as a pet. She's keeping her as like a doll almost. And that's really creepy for me. Like that vibe. It's like this performatively, I'm being such a good mother, but to someone who you're forcing to stay docile, to stay asleep like a living doll. It's like, it's, it's creepy. It's honestly terrifying. And the whole thing with her keeping Lyra in a sleep, in a enchanted sleep and will we'll get to the part where like Lyra starts to like wake up and then Mrs. Coulter like makes her drink the thing again. It's fucking awful. It makes me feel really claustrophobic. It really reminds me of sleep paralysis that like, that's exactly what it's like. Like you kind of like stir and then all of a sudden you're back in sleep and you don't know how you got there. Like the fucking confusion and like how scared Lyra must be. I I hate it. Like it really makes me feel really anxious and like it makes my chest really tight. It's a, such a violation. It's horrible. I kind of skipped quite far forward there because I wanted to link those together. So I had a question, actually. So she's making, like, the little sleep potion to, like, give to Lyra. Can anyone just do that? Do you not have to be a witch to, like, make this kind of stuff? Do you not, like, do you not have to have, like, some magic within you? Or, like, could anyone just make this thing that she's making? Are we assuming it's magical? Or is it, are we assuming it's just some kind of, like, herbal thing that anybody could do? I assume it's a herbal thing that anyone could do, but that she's told Amma it's a magical sleep because it, enhances the I'm mystical story but I feel like it's in the same way that is it in the second I'm trying to remember if it's the book of the tv series in the same way that Serafina says that the herbs in the world of Chittagatsi are not as potent as the herbs in Lyra's world and that they could do more to help Will and his hand if they were there and not in Chittagatsi world if they were in Lyra's world maybe it's that it's the herbs are more potent and so anybody with the knowledge of the witches, even if they're not magical like the witches, could potentially build, make a potion with the right plants in Lyra's world. Because we assume this is Lyra's world based on the fact that she has a demon. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting as well. We yeah, we don't have um, the little markers at the top in this book to tell us what world we're in. We don't. I think Phil's just going to have to tell us each time. <laughs> we get confirmation that Boreal's dead. So we were wondering whether he was dead at the end of the Soul Knife. Um, because it doesn't, it didn't tell us. It just told us that he was unconscious, and we didn't have any indication that like his demon disappeared or anything. But now we get confirmation that he's dead, and I wonder why. Like, I get it. Well, I suppose I get it. It makes it a little bit more of a cliffhanger. But it, I feel like it would have been more impactful if it just confirmed that he was dead in the soul knife. I don't know if it's just a little bit of a retcon because Phil thought he made it obvious, and then somebody after the fact went did he die or not and he was like oh yes i better write that somewhere (laughs) yeah 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 maybe i love that she basically robbed him after he died as well just took all his shit she takes a sleeping bag a rucksack some clothes uh, a canvas bag canvas bag it is a tough wooden frame lined with capoc which i googled and it is like it's a tropical plant that is the fluff on it is like cotton but it's really silky, so it's like an equivalent to cotton. And it's used quite a lot in hamster bedding. That's my fun fact. You can get like little capoc hamster bedding. Yeah, and I think it's a bit more eco than cotton, according to the very brief Google I did. Um, and also she has a pistol in a holster. So she's willing to do some shooting, apparently. So yeah, she is feeding this concoction, this decoction to Lyra and the monkey is being really like on edge, like twitching and 
like standing over Pan just in case he wakes up. I hate that. And like Colta has to get him to like shuffle back so that she can get closer to Lyra to actually feed her this mixture. And Lyra like half wakes up and it's like, Roger, Roger, where are you? I can't see. And it's like, oh, pour one out for Roger. Roger, pour one out for Roger, justice for Roger. Yeah. I'm glad we're getting a mention. Yeah, I'm glad we're getting a mention of him. Also, when you said that, um, like the monkey moved back from a like Mrs. Coulter looks at him and he like takes a step back. I kind of saw that as being her like saying to him, "Don't fucking do that" kind of thing, rather than being like, "You're in my way," because oh, like, okay, yeah, I because it, it, it feels like Mrs. Coulter is. Like you mentioned, like it's very sinister, but she's like being a lot kinder to Lyra than like she has been before. And it's because of obviously the state that Lyra's in. But yeah, it made me think. And and the bit that we get uh, a bit later on where the monkey... He's pissed off at her. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to put a, more of a like... Phil's trying to put more of a divide between them than there already is. Um, I think that's the first... That's like the first little taste of it. Yeah, because he, if he could, would probably want to pin Pan down. And she's like, that's not necessary. There's something so sinister and creepy about Mrs. Coulter being like, shush, 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 my darling, shush, and like feeding her this horrible medicinal thing to send her back to sleep. It's a lot. Also, just in general, from a general standpoint from Phil, it's very brave because like, obviously we, we're not sure how long Lyra's going to be in this state, but it's very brave again kind of like he did with Will in The Subtle Knife, to have your main character just be, like, incapacitated. And, like, with Will in The Subtle Knife, obviously Lyra wasn't there for the first chapter. And, yeah, just to have Lyra unconscious is very, uh, like, an interesting choice. Yeah, definitely. Again, we get a bit of mother-daughter language again. And I feel like it's like Phil's just trying to, like, muddy the water, I think, and, like, remind us that this is a mum and a daughter. And not miss not just Mrs. Coulter and Lyra. It's a mum and a daughter. Um, and I think I just really think the language is interesting because it's clearly trying to remind us of that and make us feel things in that direction. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So Lyra goes back to sleep after she's been well. Lyra is forced back to sleep by Mrs. Coulter, and then Mrs. Coulter like washes Lyra down, brushes her hair. She's basically mothering her, like we said earlier because Lyra wouldn't let her if she was awake. Like, this wouldn't be a thing. Yeah. This creepy, like, treating her like a doll and probably feeling really like this story that she's told to Emma, I think I feel that she does believe it's part of the truth in that she's hiding Lyra from something. She's hiding Lyra from the Magisterium and she's preventing this fall or whatever she's decided to do and so I think she thinks she's being a, a good mum and I think she's performing all this stuff to make herself feel that way and that there's something really creepy about that about the fact that Lyra being awake or conscious or sentient of any of it is not a factor in her head as to what makes her a good mum that's where it's really weird no absolutely so Mrs Coulter like looks at the food that Amma brought and she builds a fire and then this is a very interesting bit. So her demon was discontented. He didn't like what she was doing here in the cave. And when he tried to express his concern, she brushed him away. He turned his back, contempt in every line of his body as he flicked the scales from his pinecone out into the dark. She took no notice, but worked steadily and skillfully to build up the fire and set the pan to heat some water for tea. 
this is so interesting. This is the first time that we've seen what the monkey's thinking by himself without it's always been like oh the monkey's been violent towards another demon or like mrs coulter is upset with the monkey or there's a like it's never been like the monkey is upset with mrs coulter this is the first time that we've like had a little glimpse into fucking lmp's brain mm-hmm. and he is discontented he's not happy do you think that why do you think he's not happy do you think that like he's the side of mrs coulter that is like this is wrong and you should not be doing this to your daughter is it that is it this isn't the career path. This isn't the trajectory we were on. We were supposed to be bossing it with the magisterium and you've ditched everything to kidnap a girl and take her to a cave. Like, or is it, you shouldn't be doing this? Because I don't think it's out of concern for Lyra and like, this isn't morally okay because he's so keen to get at Pan. Mm, that's true, that's true. And if he was like, you shouldn't be keeping Lyra asleep, he wouldn't be as creepy with Pan, but I don't know. No, I think maybe you're right. I didn't. I just didn't think of that option. I think, yeah, it's probably like, what the fuck are we doing in this cave when we're supposed to be like fucking bossing it at the magisterium? Yeah, he signed up to be a, p- a power demon, <laughs> like power <laughs> couple vibes. Like, why, why aren't we telling old white men what to do like we have been for so long or whatever? So we kind of see here that, you know, his scepticism has like impacted her. She wondered what in the world she thought she was doing and whether she had gone mad and over and over again, what would happen when the church found out? The golden monkey was right. She wasn't only hiding Lyra, she was hiding her own eyes. The phrase hiding her own eyes is strange to me. I've never heard that before. No, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, does she mean pulling the wool over her own eyes? Does it mean hiding the truth from herself or herself from the truth? I don't know burying her head in the sand like an ostrich maybe i don't know yeah i really don't know because it's like if she was burying her head in the sand she wouldn't be in a cave with lyra you know what i mean she wouldn't be doing anything yeah i wonder if it's a common turn of phrase and we just don't know i'm actually gonna be yeah, a quick cheeky. google google yeah no not finding it particularly no i hide yeah hiding your own eyes as a phrase it's like what comes up is pull the wool over your eyes or do you tell someone to hide their eyes if there's like something scary happening and you don't want them to see right i don't know it's not like a mega common phrase otherwise it would show up when you google it so that's what we've learned today mrs Coulter uses weird turns of phrase (laughs) so we leave mrs Coulter then and we like jump into lyra's dreamy brain and this is interesting because like we haven't really had this like it's formatted differently like we haven't really had this from phil before i was going to ask how yours is formatted are you on like a completely fresh page and all italic yeah 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 same except for mine's annoyingly across two pages so it looks like it fit it finishes and then it is actually there's another page (laughs) this first bit is roger calling for lyra and it's really like um horrifying (laughs) the description yeah yeah it says out of the dark the little boy came hurtful and frightened whispering over and over lyra 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 behind him there were other figures even more shadowy than he was even more silent they seemed to be of the same company and of the same kind but they had no faces that were visible and no voices that spoke and his voice never rose above a whisper and his face was shaded and blurred like something half forgotten that's fucking terrifying. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Just surrounded by some faceless ghosts. Sure, 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 sure. It reminds me of like <laughs> how I picture characters in books. Because, you know, we had that discussion where I was like, I never see them really clearly and they're always a bit blurry. Yeah, or like people in dreams where you can't quite picture their faces. And yeah, they are on... There's just a really beautiful description here of like where they are. On a great plain where no light shone from the iron dark sky, where a mist obscured the horizon on every side, the ground was bare earth, beaten flat by the pressure of millions of feet, even though those feet had less weight than feathers, so it must have been time that pressed it flat, even though time had been stilled in this place. So it must have been... Uh, so it must have been the way things were. This was the end of all places and the last of all worlds. That's a fucking beautiful description. And the idea of it, the ground being worn flat by millions of feet, but the feet don't even weigh anything to make it flat and time isn't a thing. So how is it like, it's just, I don't know, it's a beautiful description of a very bleak, horrible, nothingy place. <laughs> I love um, the end of all places and the, la the last of all worlds. Mm. That's, it's beautiful. Horrible, beautiful. beautiful. We learn that... They're all imprisoned there. Someone had committed a crime, though no one knew what it was or who had done it, or what authority sat in judgment. And I really like this. Why did the little boy keep calling Lyra's name? Herp. Who were they? Ghosts. Like, it's just really beautifully written, this whole bit. Yeah. Like its own little weird conversation with dust, almost, in the way that you've got the, sh the snappy answers and stuff. Lyra can't touch them no matter how many try times she tries like she goes straight through them because they're like proper little ghosts and then she whispers Roger oh Roger where are you what is this place and he says it's the world of the dead Lyra I don't know what to do I don't know if I'm here forever I don't know if I've done bad things or what because I tried to be good but I hate it I'm scared of it and I hate it and Lyra said I and then it's another chapter <laughs> I love that. Like, I fucking love that it's like a, like a start of a sentence. It feels like she's been pulled out of it, right? Like she's been pulled out of this dream or like the dream has just ended or whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, what she's having, whether it's like a vision or a dream or whatever. She's just been yanked out of it and then not been able to finish her thought or a sentence. And I really like it. Yeah, it's a really great way. Such a short chapter at the beginning of a very thick book. And it's a great, short, snappy beginning to it. And to finish on another cliffhanger, on another, doesn't even get to finish a sentence. It's quite frustrating because it's frustrating that Lyra's not been awake for the whole chapter. It's, And then it's frustrating that we don't really know what's happening, whether this is a dream or reality or a vision or what. And then it's frustrating that she doesn't even get to finish her sentence. So, <laughs> yeah. I do like this chapter. I feel like it feels much more intimate with Mrs. Coulter now. I don't know if it's because like we're like being let into a little bit more of her like uncertainty and like we still she did like a massive thing at the end of the last book, kidnapping Lyra and making that decision to like prevent the fall and all that kind of stuff. And now she's dealing with that fallout and it's interesting to see her become I think more of a well, even just in that first chapter, like more of a well-rounded character because we haven't really seen much of her like questioning her decisions or like that kind of stuff. And I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Definitely. What is, um? what's the next chapter called? The next chapter is called Balthamos and Baruch. Baruch? Baruch? Baruch that's another Baruch. name that we're going to struggle oh, to decide to yeah. have to. B&B. B&B, <laughs> yeah, B&B. Ba Bathy and Barry. 
<laughs> we'll work it out. <laughs> Do you have an award to give out this week? I do. Like, I did. I, did you struggle with this one? I struggled with it just because I didn't want it to go to like. There's not many characters in this chapter, and like, I felt like Amma was a really obvious one to give it to. I didn't want to give it to Coulter or the monkey, or mm, I could have given it to Roger. I went with Amma's dad, basically, is what I'm saying, because I really liked that. Like, he was there, like, to protect his daughter, but he also let her go off and do a thing on her own and it was just really sweet when he like took that step forward to be like oh actually and then he was like okay yeah I mean it's kind of hard like you said there's only a few characters that are actually awake this chapter and my award is probably just going to be for Amma because she's cute or maybe for her little demon because whilst it is silly enough to land on the monkey's hand it was a mouse at one point and that was cute so there you go (laughs) He doesn't have a name, but I'm Stephen. (laughs) Speaking of awards and therefore rewards, of course, of course, we are still doing our giveaway, whereby if you leave us a review, a positive review, please, on anywhere that you can, including Facebook, Apple Podcasts. Can you leave reviews on Google Podcasts? Probably. I don't know. I have no idea. (laughs) Well, if you can leave a review somewhere for us, you should screenshot it and email it to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com because we are ever nearing our 50 review point at which we will be drawing those emails from a hat and people will be winning some super fun merch. So we'll pull 10 names from the hat and 10 of you will get bookmarks and the 10th person of that 10 will also get the rest of the HDM pod merch pack which now includes all of the season two stickers. Woohoo! Please say nice things and give us five stars. It would be much appreciated. It really helps other people to find the podcast. And if you can't leave a review or you just don't want to, maybe consider recommending us to a friend that's also read the books or wants to read the books. Yes, 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 yes. so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk If you want to support us you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rage. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Mrs. Coulter, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about sleepy, sleepy demons, I am making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories. And all will be well. <laughs>